Great stuff. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning uh, and say a statement. I still believe there are some people on this planet who still read books. <laughs> are both of you here this morning? That still read? Is anyone still read books? Now listen, you can download them on your Kindle or your iPad, that's all right. But is there anybody in the house that still reads? All right, so at the start of the year, I want to recommend a book. This is not a new book, and I've recommended it many times, and we've sold lots of them, but a lot of you are new to us this morning. This is a great book to kick off the new year with. It's called The Me I Want to Be by a guy called John Ortberg. If you don't know how to get hold of it, talk to us. We'll get one for you. The Me I Want to Be by John Ortberg. It just talks about becoming the person that you were meant to be, okay? And that's the kind of theme that we're going to say. So we're not going to use a lot out of this book. We're going to use some other material, but there is some stuff in here which so fits in with this theme. So I really want to recommend that to you. But just to set the scene, this whole phrase, the me I want to be, uh, kind of got me thinking when I read that many years ago. Uh, and, and he opened up all the, some different phrases off this one phrase, the me I want to be. So I think deep inside all of us, there is a me that we want to be. Okay, There is an idea of us that we have in our heart and in our mind. And I want to show you this morning, at the start of the new year, the me that I want to be. Okay, And I thought I'd show you in picture form. So the me in my head that I want to become is lean, mean, fighting me machine, all right, that's the me I want to be, all right, is also, I have another impression of the me I want to be, which is the calm, suave and sophisticated, all right, my wife would like it if that was me, okay, and the third one is hip and cool, all right, and apparently that's hip and cool, so young people have told me, all right, doesn't look it to me, but there you go, I have news for you this morning, I'm a long way off being the me that I want to be, if that was it, would you agree with me? All right. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> but we all have a me that we want to be. But you know what? There is also a me that we pretend to be. We all pretend to be something to somebody else. Story I heard years ago about a guy that starts work for the first time. If you've ever started a job, which many of you have, and you know that first day at work, it's horrible, isn't it? You don't know anyone. You don't know what to do. And so he walks into an office. He sits down. Nobody's in the office. He doesn't have a clue what to do. He feels really out of it. And then he sees a guy coming into the office. So he just picks up the phone and he just, there's nobody there, but he's just saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he's on the phone. Yeah, let's do the deal. Let's do the deal. You close the deal. That's it. You do it. Yeah. Make it happen. Make it happen. Make it happen. Great. Puts the phone down. Says to the guy who's come in, yeah, what can I do for you? The guy says, I've come to hook up your phone. Because <laughs> there's a me that we pretend to be, okay, that we want other people to think about us. There is also a me that we think we should be. There's a me I think I should be. And if you're a Christian this morning, then you'll understand this. The comparison game grips us. In fact, if you're not a Christian, understand it as well, okay? But if you're a Christian, you'll understand that in the Christian world, we think we should be a certain thing. And one of the great Christian writers called Henry Nouwen, he said this, spiritual greatness has nothing to do with being greater than others. It has everything to do with being as great as each of us can be. There's a uniqueness to every single one of us. And that's what God wants for us. Not the me we think we should be. Then there is also a me that other people want me to be. How many of you know everyone has an agenda for you, don't they? They really do. Yes, some of you understand that. There is also a me that I'm afraid God wants me to be. Again, if you're a Christian and follow Christ, many of us struggle with this because we think that spiritual growth, becoming who God wants us to be, we're afraid of it because we think it's all to do with keeping the rules, being all this kind of stuff. And actually, Jesus invites us into a relationship and out of the relationship, behaviour comes, not the other way around. So there is a me that we're afraid to be. There is also a me that fails to be. In fact, medically, there's a condition called FTT, which means failure to thrive. 
And there is a me that fails to be. There is a sense that we can get to places in our life where we fail to thrive. We fail to flourish in the way that God wants us to. The ancient Christian writers used to have a list of deadly sins. And one of them they called acedia, which literally means weariness of soul. An inability to delight in life. That's not the me we're meant to be. That's the me that fails to be. But I've got good news for you folks this morning. There is a me that God wants me to be and there is a you that God wants you to be. Are you excited about that? And it's not about pretending. It's not about what other people think. It's not about any of those things. It is the you that God wants you to be. And God has called you and God wants you this year to thrive and to flourish. Not because it's early in January, but because that's what God wants for you all the time. He wants you to thrive and he wants you to flourish. You know, the, the, the Bible says in, in, the old part of the te- in the Old Testament, which is the first half of, of the books of the Bible, there's a story mixed in there. Uh, some of you will know it uh, uh, from Ezekiel, prophet Ezekiel. And he looks out over a valley and sees a valley of dry bones. There used to be people. Uh, and, and God says, can these bones live? And he says, well, you know the answer to that. And of course, the answer is yes, they can. When God gets involved, even what's dead and, 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 and dry and dusty can come together and can thrive and can flourish. That's what God wants for our lives. The, um, in the Hebrew faith, the, one of the books of wisdom is called the Talmud. It's a collection of books of wisdom. And in there, there's, there's a verse where it says, there's, there's a, over every blade of grass, there's an angel hovering, whispering, grow, grow. It's an amazing little picture. There's a sense in which God whispers over every single one of us, this year, I want you to grow. This year, I want you to grow. And I've got news for you this morning. If we're to grow, we have to be healthy. Because only healthy things grow in the way that we want them to. So if we're going to look at the health of you this morning, what if health was more than exercise or diet? What about if God's desire for health for us was more than what we ate or how far we can run? What about if God's view of health is a holistic understanding of health? Who would like to be physically healthy this year? Good thing to do. Good thing to be. God wants that for you and he wants it for me. But God also wants us to be emotionally healthy as well. God also wants us to be psychologically healthy. He wants us to be relationally healthy. He wants us to be financially healthy. He wants us to be spiritually healthy because when he looks at you and when he whispers over you, grow, grow, he wants you to grow in health in every aspect of your life. So here's the question I want us to think about this morning. Why aren't we more healthy? If we want to be healthy, if there is a me we want to be, if God wants us to be healthy, why are there areas of my life and maybe your life that aren't quite so healthy as others? And you might have the physical one completely locked down and you're sorted with it and that's fantastic. But maybe this morning you can identify that there's at least one area of your life which isn't as healthy as you or God would want it to be. Why is that the case? I want to suggest we know what to do. We know why we should do it. And we even know how to do it. The problem is doing it. Am I right? (laughs) So I don't want to spend time this morning telling you what to do or why to do it or even how to do it because actually I think you know the answer to that. What I want us to look at this morning is why is it that when we know what to do and we know why to do it and we know how to do it, we fail to do it. You know, this isn't a modern problem. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, he said this in Romans 7 verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Is anyone other than me identify with that verse? I don't get it. Like, I know what to do. I know why to do it. I know how to do it. I don't do it. 
Why is that the case? Why is what I hate to do, I do, and what I want to do, I don't do? Why is that? I want to suggest this may be the reason. Because with anything in life, the rewards are in the future, but the disruption, discomfort, and discipline is in the present. Did you hear that? The rewards are in the future, but the discomfort, the the disruption, and the discipline are in the present. To have a healthier tomorrow in any area of our life requires us to live a different today. If we don't deal with today, we are never going to have a different tomorrow in any area of our life. But our problem as human beings, my problem, your problem, our problem, is that we don't like delayed gratification. We don't like the pleasure later and the pain now. Is that right? We want the pleasure now, and if we get pain, well, that's all right. We don't want to delay the gratification. We want the reward now rather than in the future. Uh, A couple of years ago, I um, showed you a a media clip and taught you about an experiment. It's a very famous experiment. Many of you will remember it called the marshmallow test. Anyone remember? Um, Yet some of you do remember because when I showed it two years ago, the idea with this is that it's a psychological test that that they they did many years ago and it's been done all around the world. This idea, they got some kids in a room and they, they gave them a marshmallow and they said, if you don't eat the marshmallow, okay, and you wait, you can eat it if you want, but if you wait, few minutes until I come back in the room and you haven't eaten it, I'll give you an extra one you'll have too. The idea is delayed gratification. When I showed you that video a couple of years ago, some of you went home, marched your kids into the kitchen <laughs> and proved to us all what fantastic kids that you've got. You say, and, you, and you did that experiment on your kids. But when we do it this time, when, we sh- when I show it you again this time, please don't think about your kids. Think about yourself. And don't think about a marshmallow. Think about what it is on your plate which delays your gratification. Because here's the thing. The testing proved that those kids that could handle delayed gratification were far more likely to be healthier in later life. Not necessarily, but far more likely to. Issues such as dropping out of school, getting into trouble with crime, all these kind of things. Now, I'm not saying if you can't withstand a marshmallow, you're going to be a criminal, all right? I'm not saying that. But those kids that had that delayed gratification were far more likely to be healthier than those who couldn't. So when I show it to you this morning, don't think about your kids. Don't think about anyone else. Think about you and say, what is it on my plate that I struggle delaying gratification for? Because if I could handle this and get to grips with this, maybe I could be the healthy me that I and God want me to be. Take a little look. Fantastic. Great stuff. So so what we do is, especially at the start of the new year, we start new programs. We embark on new things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have news flash for you. I have joined the gym. But I am not one of these people that just joined the gym because it's January. No, I joined last year. December the 30th was when I joined, okay? (laughs) So I've joined the gym and I embark on that because I want to be physically healthier than I am now, which doesn't take a lot, so I want to get better. Now, the reality is if I don't deal with the disruption, the discipline, and the discomfort now, I ain't going to be healthier physically. And it may be that in any other area of life, what we do is we begin off some things, but then it's keeping them up. And so what I want to do this morning is to share with you a few things. And I want to kind of, before I do that, just to park that for a moment. I feel that God has given me over Christmas and New Year, almost like a word for us as a community, as a church for 2016. And on Tuesday night at the encounter meeting, 7.45, love to see you all here. It'd be great to see you here. I want to open that word up as we begin to pray at the start of the year. I want to share that word with you. But just in a nutshell, the kind of essence of the word that I feel God has given me is this, that this is the year for us to fully enter in. 
It doesn't sound very profound. I want to really open it up because I think God is really showing me and, and others who are engaging with this just some of the things about that. This idea that actually God doesn't want to just bring us out of something, but he, want to, he wants to bring us fully into something. You see, nothing in life can be fully experienced unless you fully enter in. And there is so much that God has for you and for me this year and in our one and only life. But we are never going to fully experience it unless we fully enter in. So that's what I want to share on Tuesday. But there is a sense in which that connects with what I want to share this morning. Because if we want to be healthy, we have to fully enter in to that journey. And so what I want to do this morning is I don't want to give you a program or a set of steps or some keys or some magic dust. Or What I want to do is just to give you four ideas to grapple with. Show you from the Bible how these ideas I believe are true and then leave it over to you. And then it's up to you to do with it what you want. But you've got to do some work. I've got to do some work if I want to be a healthier you. So, and I've got some props to help me. And the first one is this, that we actually need to look in the right mirror. So let's do some audience participation. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? And of course, the answer is... You are, that exactly. And this is all from the fairy tale Snow White. We look in the mirror, the wicked queen looked in the mirror and said, tell me what I want to hear. Isn't that right? And here's my thought that actually, for many of us, including myself, we look in the wrong mirror. You see, our culture has so developed such an idea about our identity and about truth-telling that we're looking in the wrong mirror. We want a mirror that tells us what we want to hear. And I don't want to be critical, okay, but on social media, this is one of the areas where we fall into these traps time and time again. And what we often do, and I've seen it happen more and more in the last few months and years, is that Christians as well, we splurge stuff out on social media and the intention is it's kind of a cathartic thing. We want to get it out. We want to tell people stuff. But really what we want is we want people to write on our wall, no, you're not. You're fantastic. You're great. You're amazing. Now, positive words are really, really important. But can I tell you what, if we want to be healthy, we need to look in the right mirror. We need to look in the right mirror. You see, when we're looking in the wrong mirror, we'll never be healthy. And, and I understand this idea of don't judge me. That's the other big Christian phrase at the moment, don't judge me. I don't want to be judged. I understand that. And Jesus speaks some very strong words about judging. He says we shouldn't judge other people in certain ways. Okay, One of the ways is that actually... You say you, you judge in a little speck in their eye, but you've got a massive plank in your eye. The other reason why we shouldn't judge is that we don't know what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes. So until you've walked in someone else's shoes, don't judge them. So I understand that, what the Bible says about judging. But, and if you're a Christian this morning, and not all of you might be, there is a sense in which sometimes when we say don't judge me, what we really mean is don't challenge me. And when we say don't challenge me, what we really mean is don't change me. So we would rather splurge stuff out and have everyone tell us how fantastic we are than actually say, can I look in a real mirror, a true mirror, and whatever it shows, I want to deal with it because I want to be healthier rather than I want to just be liked. I want to just feel good about myself. I want to be healthy because if I'm feeling really healthy, if I am really healthy, then I'm going to feel much better about myself. You see, the Bible says that the truth sets us free, whatever it is. But we've got to look in the right mirror. The Bible puts it this way in James chapter 1. Anyone who listens to the word, which is kind of like the, the, what God says, the Bible, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You and I have a mirror. And the perfect true mirror is the Bible. And when we look into that mirror and when we listen to it, and not just listen to it, but actually when we go away and do it, we will be healthy. We will be healthier than we are now. But you've got to look in the right mirror firstly. And secondly, it's no good just looking in the mirror and forgetting about it. We've got to go away and do something with it. And over this next year, you are going to hear many, many, many things spoken from this stage. You're going to read things in your Bible. You're going to listen to stuff on podcasts. You're going to hear God's word, the mirror shining at you lots and lots of times. If you're going to be healthier this year, it's not just hearing it. It's not just listening to it. It's doing it. It's putting it into practice. And you know what? Here's the other thing. that that Looking at the right mirror is not only the Bible, but it's also the mirror of self-awareness. Knowing ourselves as we really are, not as we like to pretend or think we are. And I think that, and I know certainly in my own life, for me to be self-aware, I need others to help me with that. Because on my own, I'm going to get, I've got a lot of blind spots. I need others to speak into that. And one of the things that we've provided for you as a gift and as an opportunity and as a tool is this personal MOT coming up a week on Saturday, the 23rd. And I know it's a Saturday morning and I know it's three hours. And I know that we do lots of things with three hours. But I want to encourage you, that three hours that you spend a week on Saturday morning together with us, on your own in some bits and together in groups, could really revolutionise your life. Because what we'll do is we'll be holding up a mirror. And we'll be encouraging you to look into that mirror and what do you see and what does God see and what happened in 2015? What were some of the good things to celebrate? What were some of the difficult things that challenged you? What are some of the baggage that you've picked up? What are some of the things you need to let go of? And then begin to look forward like through a window into 2016. What are some of the things that God might be saying to you? What are some of the areas you want to grow and develop? How are you going to do that? I really want to encourage you to sign up for that. And if you've got kids and you think, well, I can't because I've got the kids, bring the kids along. We will look after the kids, not like me, but other people who are qualified to do that will look after the kids while we do that together. It's an amazing investment. But if we want to be healthy, we've got to look in the right mirror. That's the first idea for you to grapple with. The second one, uh, and the prop for this, is a Starbucks mug. Whoops, that's going to fall off. Great. There we go. It's a Starbucks mug. And basically, this idea is drink coffee with the right people. And um, by that, I mean, who are you doing life with? Who are you interacting with? You know, Harvard, the business school, have uh, uh, just started publishing some reports of an incredible study they've been doing. It's a longitudinal research study over 75 years. So 75 years ago, they, they took a, a sample group of about 725 people, and they went into this study, which they've been doing consecutively for 75 years. So obviously, not all of those 725 people are still alive. Okay? But there are a handful who are still alive. And the study uh, focused on two groups of people. One group of people that went and ended up going to Harvard, so very bright people, and another group of people that were brought up in one of the most deprived estates in inner city Boston. And so they looked at a whole range of people, men and women, uh, you know, younger and older, rich, poor, um, those who were in- intelligent academically, those who weren't so. And the question that we're looking at is this, what are the factors that contribute to someone's health, well-being, and sense of happiness? And you know, after 75 years of research, the single factor that contributes most to a person's health, well-being, or happiness is the quality of their relationships. That's amazing. 
Took them 75 years to work that out. But that's incredible research, okay? It really is. Because when you see that research, and what they discovered was this, that when you have that right connection of relationships, when you're drinking coffee with the right people, when you're doing relationship with the right people, it leads to a greater sense of well-being, and the indications are that you will live longer. Your brain feels more secure, and your memory declines at a slower rate. It's not just any relationships, but it's good relationships. You see, where there's conflict in relationships, the, 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 you can actually have the opposite effect. Now, this seems like brand new wisdom, but this is as old as the hills. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise becomes wise, but he who walks, sorry, he, he, walk with the wise and become wise. No, I've read the wrong thing. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, when you hang around some tables, when you do life together with the right people, it will add to your health and your happiness and your sense of well-being. But if you don't, it will have the opposite effect. So who are you drinking coffee with? Who are you intentionally building relationship with? Are there people around your table who actually aren't that healthy for you? Do you know what? If someone gossips to you, they're likely to gossip about you. So maybe you want to say, do you know what? Maybe I need to have some coffee with some different kind of people because I am committed to becoming the healthy version of me that God wants me to become. Do those people lift you up or do they bring you down? Do they draw out the best or do they bring out the worst? And we need to have a balance here because we're also called to cross out from our circles and to reach other people and to help them and to encourage them. And that's important. But we must ensure in our lives that we're drinking coffee, we're doing life, we're building relationship with the right kind of people because it's healthy. That's idea number two. The third idea, how many of you still own, wait for it, a paper diary? Come on, bold and <laughs> loud and proud about the paper diary with a pen. Yeah, I don't know what a real pen is these days. So my issue is, or my point is, we must put the right things in our diary. Now, whether that's a paper diary or whether it's a phone or a tablet or an Outlook calendar or whatever, is there anyone that does, doesn't have any diary or any planner or any schedule whatsoever? There was someone at the first. Oh, we've got someone on the front row here. That's scary. Uh, okay. <laughs> And basically, we must put the right things in our diary if we're going to be healthy. You see, one of our defences, one of my defences to my lack of health in some areas of my life is this. I just don't have the time. And I don't have the time because this thing tells me I don't have the time. Because this thing is so full. In fact, this is my wife's work diary, which is incredibly full up. This thing tells me I don't have time. And what's happened if this thing tells me I don't have time is that this thing has become the master rather than the servant. And what would it be this year, folks, if we took the reins back on our schedule? If we grabbed hold of the diary and rather than it master us, it served us and we mastered it. Wouldn't that be amazing? You see, what we often do is that if we, we think that we just can't, like, like we're driven by this thing, rather than harnessing the power of our schedule, we get driven by our schedule. Again, the Bible, so wise. In the second half of the Bible called the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of that, he writes this in Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. See, they used to measure time with sand going down. Remember that? <laughs> Not that you remember that, but you understand that. And that's because the idea that time goes and it doesn't come back up, whereas we measure time going round. And it gives us the idea that it's just going round and round and it will keep going round, but it doesn't. Time goes down and it doesn't come back up. 
And Paul says, the days are short. Make the most of them. Make the most of every opportunity. We will never do that unless we harness the power of our schedule, of our diary. So my question for you on this one, how would you spend your time if God were in charge of this? If God wrote your diary for you and you're planning your schedule, what might he put in there different to how you might put it in? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? You see, we have to find a rhythm of life that works for us. But here's the big challenge. And Bill Hybels, who's an American pastor and author, he writes this. My schedule should be less about what I want to get done and more about who I want to become. That's a great statement. If my schedule is only about what I want to get done, that's not the healthy me. But if mixed in there, there's some stuff that's all about who I want to become, then maybe we've got a chance at being healthy. How many of you want to be closer connected to God this year? So how? What are you going to do? What are you putting in that that will help you get closer connected to God? You want to be physically fit? How? When? Where? What are you going to do? Otherwise, it won't happen. You want your marriage to get better over time? Like I want mine to. But if I'm not putting things in my diary for time with my wife, it ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I want life-giving relationships. I've got a plan for them. I want to serve others and share my faith. How? When? Where? I want to have fun. I want to relax. I want to experience new things. What new things? When? Why am I going to do What I've got to put the thing. And here's the thing. What goes in my diary gets done. What doesn't rarely does. What goes in my diary gets done. What doesn't rarely does. And so there's a sense in which if we want to be healthy, we need to put some things in our diary. Maybe we need to take some things out and put some things in in order to be healthy. Now, I asked you a question. Who wants to be close to connect to God? And all of you said yes. Let me ask it you again. And let, let's pass this away. Who really, really wants to stay more closely connected to God in 2016? Great. If I could tell you one of the things Jesus did that helped him stay closely connected to the Father, would you do it? How many of you would do it? See, that's interesting because most of you haven't put your hand up and said, depends what it is. That's what you're saying because you all said, I want to get close to getting to God. And I said, well, I'll tell you one thing Jesus did. Will you do it? And you thought, he was a Jew. You're going to talk circumcision, aren't you? That's what, oh, I know that's what's going through your mind. That was the blokes. So was like, no way. But here's, here's one of the things Jesus did which helped him to stay healthy in his relationship with God. Now, he did lots of things. He prayed on mountainsides. He served. He, he did lots of things. One of the things Jesus did all the time, which was in his diary, is that every week he connected with people in a gathered worship experience. He went to church. You say, oh, you're the, you're the preacher. You're twisting it. No, I'm not. Look at the Bible. The Bible says Jesus went to the temple as was his custom. Time and time again, it says that. Jesus, the son of God, wanted and needed to stay connected to the Father. And one of the things, one of the things, not the only thing, one of the things he did was he put it in his diary. He put it in his schedule. He put it on his iPhone didn't have one. He put it in his schedule. He went to church every single week because he wanted to stay closely connected with the Father. If Jesus did that, why don't I? You know, I hear people say these days, I nearly didn't come to church today, but I'm really glad I did. And I used to like that. Now, not so much. Because when I hear that, it suggests that you nearly didn't come. In other words, you woke up one morning, it wasn't in your diary, it wasn't in your schedule. But you just thought, will we go today? Won't we go? Flip of a coin. Yes, we will. No, we won't. We'll do something else instead. But here's the thing. The cinema is in your diary. The gym's in your diary. Uh, you know, the, all of your friends, everything else goes in your diary because what goes in your diary gets done and what doesn't, doesn't. So my challenge to you at the start of the year, how about us putting in 
in our schedule as part of our whole life experience, those regular times when we can connect with one another and connect in a gathered worship experience, that will be one of the things that will help us to be healthier in this year. Just a thought. So the final thing I want to talk to you about, and I'm using this, this is a bag. This is my gym bag. It's brand new and hardly ever used. It's been used three times, all right, four times in a week. That's pretty impressive. If I'm, yeah, that'll be it. No, here's my bag. That, now, I go uh, away quite a fair bit. In fact, this afternoon at three o'clock, six members of staff, we're going away for a two-day retreat, 48-hour retreat where we're going to pray, where we're going to fast. They don't know that yet. No, I'm joking. Where we're going to fast, where we're going to pray, and we're going to be together. So we'll pack a bag. Here's the thing. I travel quite a lot, as you know, and many of you do. It, imagine if I went through my whole year with my bag, and every time I went, I put clothes in it, and I wore the clothes, but I never, ever took the clothes out. I never washed them. I never cleaned them. I just kept adding and adding and adding all the year round. What would happen? Two things would happen. Number one, it would be incredibly smelly in that bag. And number two, this will get heavier and heavier and heavier. Here's the thing, folks. Life brings baggage. If we don't deal with our baggage in the right way, we will never be healthy. And you can say, and you can mash up your vegetables and your fruit all you like. If that's the only thing you do in terms of keeping health, we will never be healthy. We need to say, God, would you help me deal with my baggage? And you know, I, I see some people and they're so healthy in some areas of our life. And I'm thinking, that's brilliant. I wish I was as healthy as that. But you know what? Health is more than one area of our life. Health is every area of our life. And we all carry baggage. And through 2015, you picked up things in your back, in your life, that are weighing you down, that are maybe even beginning to smell a bit. And God wants to say to you today, at the start of a new year, why don't you help me? Why don't you let me, rather, help you deal with your baggage so you can be healthy? One of the things I want to share on Tuesday night in more detail, I haven't got the time now, is this idea that one of the things I believe God is saying for us to enter into is entering into God's rest. And I don't really think I understand that. But I'm beginning to get a window and a glimpse into that. And last year we looked at Psalm 23, you remember? And the relationship between the, psalm, uh, between the sheep and the shepherd. And the sheep equates to us and the shepherd equates to God. And we don't like the idea of being equated to as a sheep because that feels like an insult to our intelligence where actually it's to unlock our vulnerability and our sense of dependency. In that psalm, you know what the shepherd does is he creates green pasture, still waters. The sheep just enters in. He's already done it. He enters in and when he enters in, then he gets his soul restored. Because God deals with our baggage. We can't do it. Only God can do it. We have to enter into that. And I want to open that up in more detail on Tuesday night. And I believe that entering into his rest is about stepping into the already completed, finished work that God has done. It's about letting him restore us. It's about letting him take out of that bag of our life some of the stuff that we've picked up along the way. Maybe clean it up a bit. Maybe refresh. Maybe discard it. Maybe, maybe completely get rid of it. But so that the bag is lighter and we could be healthier. And in the story of Jesus, he literally, in the way that this is written in the Bible, he literally shouts or screams these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's like he is so intent on dealing with our baggage, but we don't enter in. And so what you and I do is that we head into another year with a bag weighed down from yesterday, from last year, from 10 years ago, from 30 years ago, all of our stuff. And it's weighing us down and we want to be healthy. So we join the gym. 
And so we do a new thing. And so we get a diet. And so we start doing new friendship things. So we join a club. So we learn French. So we, so we go to Zumba. And we do, all brilliant things. But if we don't deal with our baggage, all we're doing is putting a plaster on top of something else. God wants us to deal with our baggage in 2016. You know, I just want to put this picture up at the end. It says this, you can't reach for anything new if you're holding on to yesterday's junk. And as we enter into a new year together, so we enter into this week of prayer. So we have that MOT coming up. I want to say to you guys, we are passionate this year. We are passionate. And I know God is much more passionate than we are. We are passionate about your health, your holistic health. We want to see each and every one of you, me included, we want to see us becoming the you, becoming the me that God has purposed us to be. We've got to deal with our baggage if we're going to get there. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come back. Just as we were um, in the first service this morning, just as we close our eyes for a moment, the, somebody had a, a kind of message that they felt God gave them. And I want to share that with you. And basically she said this. She said, you know, on a computer, you get the undo button. You know, when you've done something and you think, oh, and you press undo. And she says, what often happens is that, you know, she loses something off a computer and she goes to her husband and he has to find it back. And with the undo button, of course, that undoes what you don't want to be there. But also what happens sometimes is that you lose something that you do want to be there. And what she felt God say was this, that there is an undo button with God as well. And that's not only to take away those things that you don't want to be there, that you wish weren't there. It's also to bring back those things you thought you'd lost. It's also to retrieve those things that you thought you'd lost from your life. Because they're not there. They're they're not gone. They're there, but you don't know where they are. And there is an undo button with God. And just as we kind of draw to a close this morning, I want to encourage you just at the start of this year, do you need to hit the undo button? Maybe you need to say, hey, I've been looking in the wrong mirror. Do you know what I mean? I need to look in the right mirror. I need to get some people around me who can do life with me who are going to speak the truth, who love me enough to tell me the truth, not just what I want to hear. And am I going to be committed enough to my health to put things in the diary and to say, I have time. I just don't choose to use the time in those ways. And then am I willing to enter into the rest and let God deal with my baggage and let Him press the undo button and maybe to take away some of that stuff that I picked up, some of that baggage, but maybe to bring back into my life things that I'd lost, that I thought I'd never get back again. And listen, I know, folks, start of this year, some of you, your life's in a real challenge right now. Maybe your marriage is all over the place. Maybe your finances are difficult. Maybe you've got real massive health issues. I know many people in the church are looking after aging elderly parents who are very ill and all kinds of challenges on that. Maybe your kids are in a, in a, in a very, you know, difficult, challenging season and you're entering into New Year and you ain't Tigger, as you enter into New Year, you feel a little bit more like Eeyore, if you understand what I mean by that. But listen, God is committed to you and to your health. And that isn't about having a perfect life. It's about having a willingness to say, God, by your help and by your spirit, God, would you just join me as together we get this thing going? God can cause that to happen. He really can. So I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to to evaluate and to reflect and to review things in our life. And God, to say this year, Lord, we want to be healthier than we were last year in every aspect of our life. So Lord, help us to look in the right mirror, to make sure we're doing life with the right people, to put in the right things in our diary and to dealing with our baggage in the right way. 
And God, if even this morning we need to press that undo button or we need to enter into that rest and say, Lord, would you restore me? Would you deal with this baggage? God, I pray that we would begin to do that in Jesus' name. So Lord, now as we finish and as we declare and consecrate ourselves really at the end of our time, God, as we head into this week, Lord, as we head to work or to college or to school or to uni or to community or wherever we're going, God, I pray that as we enter in, God, we know, we, we, we want to declare, God, that you are the God of everything. God, you're interested in every area of our life. There is nothing that's off limits to you. And in every area of our life, you want us to be healthy. And so, God, would you help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together?